Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Don't you just love Shrek and Donkey? I mean, that's how hilarious is that clip. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been a part of one of those strained and awkward dinner conversations? Anybody? Sure you have. Sure you have. Maybe you were even one on the, the one on the hot seat, uh, just, you know, meeting your girlfriend's parents for the first time or having one of those forced conversations with your in-laws who you happen to know are not your biggest fans, right? And so we've, we've all been there. Or one of my favorites, a job interview at lunch or, or dinner. I mean, those are tough. Everyone wants to ask you questions, and you never get a chance to eat. And uh, there's those awkward sort of tension-filled silences. And you're, you're always worried about saying the right thing and not saying the wrong thing. And so we've all experienced something like this, and I, I wanted to show you that because it's a situation like this that is the setting for our tale of the kingdom this morning. At the beginning of, Ma- of Luke chapter 14, the beginning of Luke chapter 14, we get the backdrop for the story that we're going to look at together. Verse 1 says this, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So Jesus gets invited to dinner. Sounds lovely, right? Wrong. He doesn't have a chance. In this very first verse of the chapter, he's got three strikes before he even begins. Look at this. First, it's Sabbath. And we know from the Gospels what a polarizing subject Sabbath was in Jewish culture. Second, he's at the house of a Pharisee. These guys had it out for Jesus from the very first day that they understood that he was out there teaching and gathering a following. And third, he is being carefully watched. They are scrutinizing every move he makes and hanging on every word. And so we assume they're trying to discredit him somehow or catch him up in some violation of the law. He doesn't have a chance. So let me give you some insight into Middle Eastern culture for a moment so that we can get some context for this story. You see, whenever a traveling rabbi or teacher would make his way through a village in ancient Israel, Palestine, it was customary for the religious leaders to invite him as a guest to a meal. The purpose of the invitation was not necessarily to show hospitality and break bread. We we hope that was part of it, but rather they wished to investigate the teacher's political and religious or theological views. And in the case of Jesus on this day, the situation was no different. His interaction in the early part of the chapter when he first arrived at the Pharisee's house was tense. He immediately heals a man on the Sabbath, which caused, you know, some some ruckus, raised some eyebrows. It would have made them wild. And then he he talked to them uh, through yet another parable. This is not the one we want to look at this morning, but, but in this parable, he talked to them about the protocol for choosing a seat at a wedding feast. And he said, you know, don't take the place of honor, because if you take the place of honor, you're going to be humbled. 
So you want to make sure that, you know, anyone who, who takes the place of honor will be humbled. The one who humbles himself, though, will be honored. And I love it because he's just setting them up for what's to come. And he turns to his host, knowing that the others are listening, and he encourages him. He says, so when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your neighbors, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives. If, if you do, they may invite you back, and, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And as soon as he mentions the resurrection of the righteous, there's somebody there. Another leader, we assume, uh, part of, of this group of Pharisees and religious leaders who decides that that is a great segue to have a theological conversation because the resurrection of the righteous, that's a theological issue. And so he blurts out, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, to you and I, that seems kind of random. I mean, why would he say something like that? But to the crowd that would have been there at the Pharisee's house that day, it was a reference to a well-known passage in the book of Isaiah about a great banquet at the end of time. He was fishing for Jesus' take or his opinion on what Isaiah had talked about so many years before. And so I want you to turn with me. We're looking at Luke chapter 14, and we're going to read the text together. You follow along with me as I read, beginning at verse 15. And Jesus tells a story. So here's the setup. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with, with a tale of the kingdom. He says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Uh, Please excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant. He said, go out quickly into... The, the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And so the servant came back. He said, sir, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So let's get out our sermon notes, if you haven't already, and uh, open your Portico app, follow along this week. And let me, let me tell you about this first thought, the great banquet, the great banquet. You see, in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 9, the prophet paints a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of a messianic banquet that will take place at the end of time, the end of history, the Lord of hosts, it says, spreads the banquet and prepares the food of kings. And as he prophesies, he says it's going to be held on the holy mountain of the Lord. And it'll include all the nations, including the Gentiles. Death will be finished. It will be at an end. It will be done away with. And tears will be wiped away. This will be an amazing, amazing day of salvation. This is the picture that Isaiah the prophet paints. It's clearly a reference to a future 
uh, future time when God, the God of angel armies, will do away with all of death and all of suffering and host a beautiful banquet featuring every fine delicacy that normally only the wealthy could partake of, the food of kings. What an amazing picture. And so this man at the house of the Pharisee made his statement about the great banquet to see where Jesus would land in terms of his position on the subject. And so Jesus tells a banquet story of his own, a tale of the kingdom. And and if we look back at those first two verses, he sets it up. A certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. And at the time, you know, when when it was time, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So far, this parable seems to be, you know, tracking with the Isaiah account, the Isaiah prophetic account. And this would make the person inquiring very happy because you have to understand, those people who were there at the Pharisee's house for dinner, they were all thinking the same thing. They were thinking, yeah, there is going to be an amazing, a great banquet at the end of time. God will spread the banquet. And we, we are the invited ones. And they were thinking, we, meaning those who are religious Jews, those who follow the law. Because here's what had happened. Even though Isaiah wrote about Jews and Gentiles, about all nations being invited to this banquet, over the, the, the time since Isaiah had prophesied, the, the Jewish leaders had begun to rewrite their theology. You see, they went into exile in Babylon. Seventy years they were gone. Then they began to sort of make their way back. And then there were 400 years where there was no prophetic voice. There was no word from God. There was this awkward silence in their sort of religious culture. And so they began to rewrite. And they looked back at Isaiah's, you know, at Isaiah's text. And and over time, it began to become unrecognizable. There were were sort of three works that came out around the time of Jesus. And I won't go into all the details. One was called the Targum. Uh, One was called the Book of Enoch. One was out of the Essene community uh, and called the Messianic Rule. And these were writings that were uh, sort of transliterations or paraphrases of the original, the original uh, writing of the prophets in many cases. And so because the new language, since they'd come back from, from exile, was the language of Aramaic, what would happen is they would read uh, the law and the prophets in the synagogue in Hebrew, but they would translate it orally into the new language of Aramaic. And so they began to write down their sort of, you know, translations or their paraphrases. These were kind of like, you know, the living Bibles of the day. The living Bible has some great stuff in it, but it is a fairly loose translation or, or paraphrase. And this is what happened with these writings. So let me tell you what uh, three of these writings talk about Isaiah's vision. The first, the first one, the Targum, uh, says this. It says, you know, that, that uh, they totally missed out on the whole banquet thing. They said, there's going to be an invitation and there's going to be plagues and people are going to die. The Targum has this really dark, dark view of, of Isaiah's writing. And then if you look at the book of Enoch, it actually says that, that uh, the Gentiles will be invited to the banquet, but before dinner, they're all going to be slaughtered. And the faithful Jews then will have to sort of, uh, you know, walk through the, all the blood and the gore to get to the table and have dinner with the Messiah. Nice, eh? Isn't that lovely? And then uh, the, the Messianic rule, it actually, it writes the Gentiles out altogether. No mention of them whatsoever. 
And so they actually say in, in the Messianic rule, it says that, that uh, only pious Jews who observe the law would be able to attend. And they actually go so far as to say that no one, and I find this very interesting uh, because of Jesus' words, the Messianic rule states no one who is uh, crippled, blind, deaf, or dumb, or even who has a blemish on their skin will be invited to the banquet. They won't be allowed to attend the banquet. Seriously? It's like unbelievable. And so Ken Bailey, uh, one of the writers that I researched, says this. He said, Isaiah's beautiful vision, which saw faithful Jews and Gentiles coming together at God's invitation, goes badly awry in these three reinterpretations of the great banquet. And so this leader, this Jewish leader that was raising the subject, uh, was likely thinking, Jesus would respond in support of one of these contemporary views of the banquet, but his parable would bear out something totally different. And so I have good news for you today. There will be a great banquet in the holy mountain of the Lord at the end of history. There will be a great banquet, and you are going to want to be there. It will have the best food. It will have the food of kings, and death will be no more, and every tear will be wiped away, and it will be an amazing day of salvation. Revelation 19 and 9 says, Blessed, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so this is the scenario in Jesus' tale of the kingdom, in the parable of our text. A great banquet has been prepared. And many guests have been invited, and the word has gone out. Come, everything is now ready. But look what happens. We have a great banquet. And then begin to come the not-so-great excuses. The not-so-great excuses. Look at verses 18 to 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm, I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, before we get all self-righteous, let's just admit it. We've all come up with some pretty lame excuses of our own at one point or another, haven't we? Come on, confession is good for the soul. Have you come up with some lame excuses ever? Oh, you people, you're all going to hell. We have. I came across some of these, and I'll just I'll read a couple of them to you. Actual, these are actual ridiculous excuses that people gave for missing work. I was sitting on this. I couldn't think this up if I tried. I was sitting on the toilet, and my feet and legs fell asleep. When I stood up, I fell and broke my ankle. That ever happened to anybody? No, of course not. I woke up in a good mood, and I didn't want to ruin it. Uh, that's a good one, right? Uh, I caught my uniform on fire when I put it in the microwave to dry. This other person says, I accidentally got on a plane. Have any of you ever accidentally got on a plane? Um, Now, this next one, this is a real thing. My wife put all my underwear in the washer. No, actually, that's a thing. It can be a problem if all of... I'm just saying. My cat was stuck inside the dashboard of my car. Billy Sunday said that an excuse is nothing more than the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. 
The skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And the people giving the excuses in Jesus' story, they were giving the worst made-up excuses ever. To give you an idea of how terrible this actually was, you've got to understand something about Middle Eastern culture again. It was customary that when you're preparing a meal and you've invited your friends in, that you would, you would go out and make the invitation and people would agree to come or not agree to come. They would RSVP. And then... It would take a day or so to prepare the banquet because everything was prepared fresh. And so they had to decide, uh, based on how many who are coming, how much meat do we prepare, and, and what will we serve. And then the meat would have to be butchered fresh, and the meal would be prepared. And then the master would send his servant back out into the village and say to the people who've already agreed to come, come, everything is now ready. Okay? So this is the scenario They've already RSVP'd, and so it was not just awkward and comfortable when they began to make, uh, uncomfortable when they began to make their excuses. It was also downright insulting. This is kind of like if you're sitting in someone's front room waiting for dinner to be served, and they come out to say, everybody come on to the table, it's ready. At that point, you make excuses and say, sorry, I've got to go and test drive my oxen, right? That's, That's sort of the comparison. And so their excuses were lame. Nobody buys a piece of property without going to see it first. And if you do, I have a few real estate agents I'd like to introduce you to. Uh, who buys a car or a tractor or, in this case, a yoke of oxen without, without test driving it first? This is not a good excuse. And then, you know, I just got married. Just got married, already throwing the, the wife under the bus, right? But here's the thing. To, to talk about such a thing in Middle Eastern culture... Because here's what he was insinuating, okay? Now, please, this is G-rated, but, but this is what he was insinuating. He was saying, I just got married, and so I can't come because my wife and I, we're still honeymooning, if you know what I mean. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Okay? Well, that wasn't proper to talk about in their culture. And so it was, it was culturally offensive, and it was rude, So they make all kinds of lame excuses. They can't come to the banquet. And maybe, you know, Jesus put this in his story because of some personal experience that he had with with people making excuses. In another part of the Gospels, when Jesus was talking to someone about following him in Matthew 8, 21 and 22, he says, another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus told him, follow me, and you let the dead bury their own dead. And so, so he's encountered this kind of sentiment before these excuses before, and he puts it in the story so that we can learn a lesson from it. You see, the heart of the gospel is that whosoever will may come. John said, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so that anyone who believed in him would not perish and have eternal life. Anybody can come. Whosoever will is what it says in the King James Version. And there are a lot of people in this world who know what it means to live for Jesus, who who have understood and, and heard the gospel, but have, have made excuses and are making excuses for their delay in a decision to follow Jesus. I'll say yes to Jesus when I'm a little older, when, I, you know, when I've had a little more time. I've got a lot of life yet to live. I, I'm too busy having fun. I need to focus on my career or my spouse isn't ready to do the church thing yet. The church is full of hypocrites. There's a good one. And the list goes on. And then there are those who maybe give some mental assent to church and religion, but who don't don't adjust their lifestyles or their priorities to reflect the values of a committed follower of Jesus Christ. But they think religion is enough. 
that going to church is enough, that being a good person is enough. And yet Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's, a, there's an amazing, amazing sort of warning there. Be careful. Be careful about not making too many excuses. And remember, it's not about what you do, but it's about accepting what's been done for you. It's about accepting what Jesus has done. Saying yes to Jesus means, you know, believing in your heart that he came, that he died for you. And then just accepting his free gift of grace and forgiveness. It's about saying yes to the great invitation. We have a great banquet that has been prepared. People make some not so great excuses, but all we need to do is accept the great invitation. There's a great twist in the story here. As Jesus unfolds his tale, the master of the house gets angry about those who had spurned his invitation. And then in the next instant, he comes up with this amazing solution. Go out quickly, it says in verse 21. Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. What a great picture. God wants a full house. He wants every seat at the table filled. And so, you know, it's very similar to something Jesus had said earlier in verse 13. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And so he's driving a point here. He's talking to the Jewish elite, the exclusive club of the religious leaders of the day, so that this kind of invitation, it was not something that they would be open to or accustomed to. As a matter of fact, their interpretation or their understanding of the great banquet of God in Isaiah was so twisted that they thought they were the only ones who would be there. It's kind of like when Peter was touring, you know, a group through heaven. And it came to one neighborhood and he said, we have to be really quiet here. Don't don't just whisper, don't talk. And they said, well, why? What? He said, well, because that subdivision over there, that's the Baptists, and they think they're the only ones here. Wait for it. If you're Baptist, I apologize. But, but it's, that, it's that kind of thought, okay? And so they think that they're the only ones who would be at the banquet. And even if some other Jews might make it, certainly no one like Jesus was describing would be a part But through his story, Jesus was letting them in on something that Isaiah had it right. The great banquet would not happen without a great invitation. Everyone would be invited. And when the honored guests made excuses as to why they couldn't be there, the doors would be thrown open wide to whosoever will may come. John said he came to that which was his own. Chapter 1, verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The great invitation is that all are invited. He came to the Jewish people first, but he came for everyone. Those who made excuses and and who rejected Jesus, they made their own choices, even fooled themselves into believing that, that their own good works, keeping the law, reciting the Torah, performing the rituals, would somehow get them in, but they wanted to come on their own terms and in their own strength. You know, there's a parallel account of this parable in Matthew, and there it talks about a wedding guest who showed up to the wedding without wedding garments on. Middle Eastern culture, the, the host would provide special wedding garments for everybody who was invited, and if you weren't wearing the wedding garments, you couldn't stay for the party. And there's this amazing picture 
because it's, it's a picture of what Jesus does for us. In the same way, we don't get into the great banquet of God on our own strength, clothed in our own righteousness or religion or our own good works. Instead, we have to know that nothing we can do will get us in. Only what Jesus has done on the cross gains us access to God's great banquet, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We've got to put on the clothing of His righteousness. And without being dressed in the, in the righteousness of Jesus and coming through His sacrifice on the cross, we don't get in. It's not what you can do. It's about what He has done and about saying yes to Him. And everyone has been invited to say yes and to sit at the table in the garments provided by the host, by the master of the great banquet. It says in Luke 13, 29 and 30, that people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south. They'll take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Remember, all of these parables are about the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. You know what I love about the gospel? About the good news of Jesus, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all equal there. There's no amount of wealth or religion or position or accomplishment that will make one bit of difference. And so everybody has the same opportunity to be a part of God's family. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. This tale of the kingdom has a powerful message. God is preparing a great banquet. Many will will make excuses as to why they can't come, but the invitation is thrown wide open to anyone who will come. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your social position, if you're rich, you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're deprived or forsaken or broken or if you're wealthy and privileged and popular. If you accept God's invitation, if you come clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, you get in. That's all there is to it. There's an amazing song that was written by, uh, performed by the group Leland. And here are the words. Let me just read them for you. Wounded and forsaken, I was shattered by the fall. Broken and forgotten, feeling lost and all alone. Summoned by the king into the master's courts, lifted by the Savior and cradled in his arms. I I was carried to the table, seated where I don't belong. Carried to the table and swept away by his love. And I don't see my brokenness anymore. When I'm seated at the table of the Lord, I'm carried to the table, the table of the Lord. Fighting thoughts of fear and wondering why he called my name. Am I good enough to share this cup? This world has left me lame. But even in my weakness, the Savior called my name. And in his holy presence, I'm healed and unashamed. There is a story that I love in the ancient Hebrew history of the kings of Israel. When King Saul's dynasty had come to an end, King David was ruling on the throne, and there's just another beautiful picture of God's grace that mirrors this great banquet invitation. Saul's family had been decimated. But David, because of his love for Saul's son, Jonathan, wanted to find if there was anyone left from Saul's family who he could show kindness to. And he discovered that that Saul had a living grandson, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, was still alive. And he sent for him, not knowing initially that he was crippled in both of his feet because of an accident when he was young and, and his family were fleeing for their lives. And so David brought Mephibosheth into his palace told him not to be afraid. He promised he would restore to him all the property that had been taken from his family. But my favorite line in the whole story is this one. 
this young boy who is broken. He's crippled. He, he can't get around. He has no business being in the palace. And it says this about him. So Mephibosheth ate at King David's table. He ate at King David's table like one of the king's sons. Isn't that beautiful? We've all been invited to the great banquet of God, to the king's table. And no matter who you are or what you've done, the invitation is open for you. It's not just so that you can sit with the help, okay? You've been invited to sit at the king's table as one of the king's sons. You've been invited to believe in his name and been given the right to become a child of the king. This is amazing grace. I said, this is amazing grace. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for, God, this incredible plan of yours that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that you opened up a way for us to have relationship with you through Jesus' death on the cross and through his resurrection. Because of Jesus, because of his righteousness, we can put on the garments of his righteousness and we are invited to a place at the table of the king. And so, God, I pray today for anyone who is in this room who's never said yes to you, who's never accepted this amazing invitation. God, I pray by your Holy Spirit right now, you'll speak to every heart, to every life as we're gathered here. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't want anybody looking around. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Jeff, I need to do that today. I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to accept my invitation to the great banquet of God. If you're here today and and that's you, all you need to do is believe and accept his free gift of grace. And and if you're saying, yes, I need to say, I need to do that today. Would you just slip your hand up just really quickly all across the room? Nobody's looking around. Say, I need to say yes to Jesus this morning. Is there anyone at all? So while we wait for a moment, today's your day. Yes, thank you. Is there anyone else today? Anyone at all? Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking to hearts this morning. Pray for these that have raised their hand, and I pray, God, that, Lord, you'll help them just in the quiet of where they are to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Make me a new person. I want to be a part of your family. I want to say yes to you. And God, for the rest of us, from the the depths of our our soul, we want to say thank you, God. Thank you for your invitation to the table. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you, Lord, that we have a place as sons of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are so grateful today for your amazing grace, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.